On today's podcast, we have another student panel and the focus is on transitions. A lot of people don't realize that when you're going to graduate school or if you're finishing your undergrad or if you're looking for that next step in life, that often it requires a little bit more guidance, a little bit more forethought, and sometimes your patience gets tried in this journey and you get to really open up and find new discoveries about yourself. So please lean in and enjoy this conversation that I've had with Anna, Riva, and Diana. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the pod. Today, I have two former nutrition students and one student who I've never taught before, but is gonna make a big leap into the group. So I wanna introduce Anna, Diana, and Riva, and I think the best way to get them to share is to have them introduce themselves. So Anna, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, thank you guys for having me on the podcast. So as Brian said, I'm Anna Leckman. I did my undergraduate at Ryerson. I finished last year for medical physics. And then I wasn't exactly sure where I wanted to go next. So I took the year off and traveled. And I kind of learned through my travels the importance of environmentalism, environmental racism, and how I could use my physics knowledge and my love of physics to hopefully address that in one way or another in any way that I can make a difference. And that's how I ended up choosing the Environmental Applied Science program for my master's at Ryerson with Brian. And we're happy to have you in the group, Anna. And thank you for joining us today. Diana, tell us a little bit about you. Yes, thanks so much for having me today. So I just finished my nutrition degree at Ryerson this summer. But before that, I had a previous bachelor that I completed in Amsterdam, and it was more focused in health sciences. But I knew coming out of that degree, I wanted to pursue dietetics, which I did at Ryerson. And now that I finished my nutrition degree at Ryerson, I will be able to move on to my dietetic internship in the fall so that at the end of that, I can actually receive my dietetics license and be a registered dietitian. So my interests lie in health and nutrition and everything around that. I have so many more interests, but that's where I am now. Awesome. And we'll touch on some of those uh, interests in a bit as well and drill down on that Amsterdam journey. But Reba, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, My name is Riva. I'm entering my fourth year of the nutrition program at Ryerson. I live in North York. I'm the oldest of seven. I was home. Seven? Did you just say seven? You have seven. (laughs) It's a big family. Yeah. I mean, I was homeschooled for the last two years of high school. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's, uh, okay. I'm, I can't leave this thread. I, I told them, I told everybody that we keep it alphabetical order, but Reva, I'm going to follow with you. So with this COVID situation and you, you guys, have, are there seven people, if you're the oldest, they're all younger than you running around your house right now. Is that yeah. true? Yeah. How is that? How has that been? It's hard. How big is your house? Do you have like like enough like a side yard or something that you can put those younger siblings into or something like how how do you deal? We're not like living on top of each other, which is good. It's hard just trying to focus on my schoolwork when everyone's around and there's a lot of noise and just a lot going on all the time. And you said you were homeschooled, so that means you, I guess, have always been around these people too. So it's not completely new to you that you're now being surrounded by them again, but I imagine that adjustment was hard. No. So actually when I was homeschooled, all my other siblings were in regular school. Oh, so this is a, <laughs> this is a massive adjustment. Yeah. Oh man, that's tough. So are you taking any courses right now? Yeah, I'm taking two. And obviously they're online or remote. What do you do in terms of a strategy to try to cope with having so much busyness in the house? 
So I usually try to work outside or just find a quiet spot. Sometimes it's like really hard to do that, but I'm just trying my best. Times I've had to like work late at night when everyone's sleeping because that's the only time where I can get some quiet. As a as the older sibling, do you have or do you or do you have like dependent care? Are you responsible for these younger kids or do the parents take care of that? Parents are like they're not working as much now, so they have more time to like take care of my siblings. But like when we were first transitioning to online, I had to help them a lot just get adjusted to it. And now yeah. like, they're a bit more independent, so it's getting better. And what's the youngest sibling in that family, in your family? She's 10. Okay, so you can negotiate with a 10-year-old, but they're probably really good negotiators. <laughs> no, they'll, they'll ruin you. <laughs> okay, wow. All right, so Anna, how was the transition for you? I know you weren't in school, but you are now trapped at home. How has this been for you so far this summer? Definitely say it's a strange experience. As you said, I was out of school for the last year, so I was really lucky to be as free as I was. I kind of, you know, with a Canadian passport, you can pretty much go to any country and walk in. You know, sometimes there's a fee to pay, but that's pretty much as difficult as it gets. So I could basically say, I mean, I was in Sub-Saharan Africa and there was a cheap flight to Istanbul and I took it. To have that freedom of practically hopping continents to now my life is like quite reserved to your house and that's you know it, it's not to take away from the grandness of the situation and it's not about me but it definitely took a lot of re readjusting to <laughs> having this really lucky freedom of the world is kind of this bouncing map for me to this it's it, it's been difficult but again I'm still I know that I'm really lucky in everything did, did you have any big plans for this summer did you have any travel lined up that didn't happen or yeah, I was happen. actually supposed to leave. I was lucky that I never actually booked the flight, but I was actually supposed to leave for Saudi Arabia in mid-March, taking my way over through through Pakistan into India. And obviously that hasn't happened because I'm here. <laughs> uh, and, I'm, and again, I'm lucky that I didn't lose out on money from a flight or any of that. But yeah, that's what I was going to be doing until about mid-July. You, you said that so matter-of-factly, but then I thought Saudi Arabia for a woman and maybe Pakistan for a woman would be a very big cultural, uh, well, for a man even, would be a very big cultural difference. You just said that like, oh yeah, I'm just, just going to do that. No no fears about th that those parts of the world? I mean, I was spending quite a bit of time in the Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, with, like last year, which is again, like in itself a huge shift. And by the Middle East, I'm not including Saudi Arabia in that, obviously. <laughs> but I think that you get a bit of arrogance. Is, it's You have to be very careful not to get because there is still danger anywhere, whether it's Canada or Egypt or whatever. So you have to you know, walk that line between building your confidence, which is good for you, but also watching out for arrogance. And I did find that I was becoming more confident with myself, which is obviously good in the grand picture, but also I'm half Armenian, which is just north of Iran, a really small country. And so I'm somewhat familiar with the culture and I can understand Arabic to an extent. So that gives me a bit of an up, but I, I started to get this, how do I one up myself, I guess. And I remember in, I think it was beginning of December, a friend of mine who was from Saudi Arabia mentioned that they were opening tourist visas. And I was lucky enough to actually be one of the first hundred people to get my tourist visa to Saudi Arabia from that commercialization point. I had never got to use it, <laughs> but- That's cool. I didn't realize that Saudi Arabia, we weren't able to visit until you just said that, that they didn't have tourism type visas available but now yeah I didn't, even, I didn't well, even think well as a that. woman yeah as a woman you had to go with either your husband brother or father and it wasn't for like pure tourism it was specifically to go to Mecca or for Hajj 
and because I'm a non-Muslim and I would be going for pure tourist reasons, I wouldn't have been able to go on before then. Wow. And then why Pakistan, India? The obvious reasons that you hadn't been there, I assume, but what, what was the draw there? Uh, well, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, the entire sort of that cluster, I would say, but Pakistan specifically because I had met some travelers who had been there and said that it was really important to, if you're going to visit India, to also visit Pakistan and not to get into all the, you know, to side with politics, but it was just that historically, of course, with England sort of drawing this arbitrary line and that it was important to see both sides and how both countries are sort of developing different ways and to see that, like, I think for me would have been, I still hope that maybe one day in the future I get to go, but that would have been something that I was, I try to look at the bigger picture and like, I wouldn't, for example, I wouldn't just go to Italy to see Rome. I would try to see smaller parts of it that people might not hear about through Instagram or Facebook from their friends and find more off the beaten parts that are more authentic to the true culture. Very, very, uh, very, uh, yeah, wow. Very, very cool. Um, Diana, you're a bit of a world traveler, and that's how we first met when you started telling me about your experience in Amsterdam, but how did your uh, semester end? So my semester, I would say, probably ended much like everyone else's. It just felt very abrupt with everything transitioning online. Like all of a sudden we were in lecture and then everyone heard the message that the school was closing down, you know, for in-person classes. And then all of a sudden everything shifted to online. I actually didn't mind the online lectures. It was really comfortable to do it at home. And of course, I'm lucky enough to not be living in such a huge home with a lot of people. So it was easy to like concentrate and get work done. But it was quite like it was near the end of the semester, right? So it was just full of projects and assignments. So it was quite busy. And then it just kind of ended. And that was that. And I think it's, it was also a little like it hasn't sunk in for me yet because I have been in school for so long that I feel like I've just been so attached to this identity of a student. And so throughout the summer and as I transition into my dietetic internship, I really kind of have to get out of that mentality and be like, okay, I'm actually starting my career now. So, and, I was, yeah. I was, and I was just thinking that from a, a closure point of view, this would be quite hard, right? Because you didn't actually get the opportunity to like graduate like or do the things that that normal people would get to do exactly um, yeah but you're like going I, quickly to the next step so what does that yeah. what does that feel like in terms of i don't know maybe missed opportunities well it is a shame that i won't get to have an in-person graduation i was actually quite excited about that just because you know I, i've been in this for so long and it felt like it, it was just it was such a nice way to celebrate all the work that i've done to get to this point and of course i had travel plans throughout this entire year that all got cancelled so hearing anna talk about her travels like i can fully relate and it makes me long for that too especially like i'm so used to maybe kind of traveling like every three months or so to a new place and then not being able to do that this whole year it was a bit of a disappointment and of course i'm i also appreciate that i'm able to do that did you have plans to go back to Amsterdam this summer? I was potentially going to go back for a little bit just to see some friends, but I wasn't looking to spend a lot of time there just because it's almost like home for me now. And I wanted this summer to be a summer where I'd see a lot of new places and discover things, knowing that once I start my internship, I don't know when I'm going to have this opportunity again, because the idea is that after the internship, which is full-time work, is to find full-time work after. Yeah. And so you're starting up thinking about building your career and, and what that looks like. Yeah. What, um, one of the things I, I thought of you while I was, uh, so I was on my sabbatical in Germany last year mm -hmm. and living in Germany and having access to France and all these places. And I went to 
Amsterdam. And I just fell in love with Amsterdam actually for a lot of reasons. It's a super expensive place to visit though as a tourist. Like, oh my God, I didn't realize yeah. it's one of the most expensive places I've ever been. But oh, it's a fantastic place. And uh, I was thinking of you, I should have emailed you. Revo, you have this history of being homeschooled. And I think this is cool because you have a little bit more insight of maybe as to how we should roll this out <laughs> coming into the fall. And I would love to pick your brain on it. So what do you like about homeschooling and what don't you like about homeschooling? I guess, well, let me rephrase that. What are you looking forward to as you transition, think forward to the fall based on your previous experience? And what are you concerned that we should probably not do in the fall? Um, so something that I like about being homeschooled or just learning independently online is that you can kind of like make your own schedule. Like there's no like scheduled class that you have to be at at exactly this time. Another thing that I like is that you can do assignments whenever you want. Like there's just, it's a lot of like, in terms of like the timing, like you can just, you have more like freedom with it. But then like the hard part about that is just managing your time well, because there's so much freedom. Personally, I find myself procrastinating a lot, especially like the past few weeks. I've just, I've been struggling with that and I'm just trying to really like plan out my time and like gain more motivation. Yeah, you have seven people in your house. Well, yeah. you've got nine people in your house. No, you make 10, I guess. No, you make you make eight, nine. Wow, like that's crazy. You're gonna have some issues there that I don't even have a, even the ounce of advice to give you, but so, like as we think about the fall, what and maybe you can give me some advice because you you are helping out with this Sinai Nine project and other things. What what should we do as faculty members to really help with those problems? I can't manage your time for you, like know, right. Yeah. So, but what could I do to keep things moving or productive? How could I how could I as a faculty member or any of my faculty member listeners help? So I'd say one thing is to just keep in mind that like, this is a hard time for everybody and to just, I mean, I'm not sure, like I'm not a professor, so I don't know if like <laughs> this is proper advice or not. Being mindful of the fact that this probably isn't the only course that students are taking because everything's online and it's a huge transition for most students. It's probably going to be really difficult for them. So just to have that in mind. So uh, you're right, because, you know, I only have my lived experience and, and my, my life's going pretty good right now, right? And I've not, not a lot of moving parts in my life. Whenever we translate our experience onto somebody else's, we run the risk of becoming intolerant, right? Because we don't understand what people are suffering. So that is fantastic advice. When you think back to delivering a lecture, though, because you said something that, that's quite interesting, you know, it gives you more time to focus and follow up with notes or learn at your own pace. Is it better if the lectures are live or would they be better if they were not live? So from my experience, so I've had it both ways, actually. So in high school, they, the lectures weren't live. And then in university, like from what I've had online or like when we all switched online, they were live. So I can say that like live lectures definitely make you feel like you're more a part of the class and allow you to participate more and like you get to like actually see people. So that that's the good part about it. But then having them recorded is more convenient in terms of you can decide when you want to listen to the lectures. But I think that that live lectures would be good just to yeah, add more structure. Yeah, sorry to cut you off. No, I agree. They would actually provide one of those incentives that you talked about and we can all with zoom you can always record everything anyway so it makes it quite easy to actually you could have the best of both worlds without 
giving the lecture twice. What about assessments? That's something I really don't understand because, you know, a lot of my peers actually and, and colleagues and faculty members, and this will be a question I pose to everybody as well. My peers are worried and I'll need to a lesser extent that people will cheat if there was an assessment, right? Like they would copy, they would work together when they're supposed to be working alone. I don't want to tell you what I think without getting your feedback first. How do you think we could alleviate those concerns? So I would say maybe like more assignment type of assessments as opposed to like tests like multiple choice tests because if it's like an essay for example you really like can't copy from someone else it's not like just one right or wrong answer kind of thing so i think that eliminates a lot of the cheating part completely agree and is that what you did when you were in when you were in high school or did they just have standard tests when you were in high school so it was a lot of assignments and then there was like a test at the end of every unit but it was open book and it like wasn't worth a lot it was worth like 15% maybe. And then the final exam, it was like proctored. So we had to just find someone like with like university degree and like send this whole form in, like have them approve the proctor. And then they would send the proctor like a code to access the exam. And then the proctor would have to like put it in and watch us take the exam. And that, and that idea has been floated around, but it's unlikely to, to work out because we have so many people, right? Yeah. And our classes are so big. Diana, what to, I mean, you just left this, this thing as well. What would you, piece of advice would you give to educators such as myself that we could do a better job as we go into this new fall semester? I think what Reva said was good as well, like being mindful of people's situations. I actually wanted to touch on the assessment piece because I had a course in like throughout all of my uh, last year at Ryerson, it was like a two part course, advanced nutrition management of human disease. So we had it in the fall and the winter. And in that class, we had a couple case based assignments and the teacher was very particular about cheating and plagiarism. And she made herself very clear, like you have to put in your own words into the assignment, but everyone had the exact same assignment. This was in a class of like hundreds of students. And this is a course you take in your very last year of nutrition degree. And we were able to work with a couple students, but ultimately we would know that we had to put everything into our own words. So I think making more assignments like that would be a solution for online classes. And also there have been online courses at Ryerson before this happened. Like I took online classes before during the summer semester and it was more assignment and case-based. So I think that can alleviate some of the plagiarism issues. And the other question I was wondering is, why, like, I understand why there's such a fear of people cheating, but should we not also foster an environment where students can really collaborate and share ideas as well? You can't see me. I'm nodding my head. Completely okay. agree. I'm not <laughs> wanting to sway. I completely agree. I don't, I use the word assessment deliberately because I think exams and tests are stupid. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's a way forward without doing those things. Yeah. And what that actually, looks like is different, but yeah. And um, with one of my classes for the same course, actually the clinical nutrition class, we had a take-home exam obviously for this last summer and it was such a different format, but because we were able to use our book as resources and I was kind of reading and doing the tests at the same time, like kind of fi figuring out problem solving on my own, but I felt like I retained the information so much better than if I were to just study it all in like a week and then do the test and then kind of forget about it because I was sort of working it out on my own. And of course you have to reference where you get all your information from. Yeah, I completely agree. How would you feel about an oral exam? So five minutes, 
where it's dynamic. So it's not, you can't, you can't cheat, right? Like you, yeah. you literally imagine if I said, okay, everybody, whether it be nutrition or science, whatever discipline. And I said, here are 10 topics that I want you to familiarize yourself with. And then we are going to have a five minute discussion on one of those topics. So it's kind of random. And then when you go into your zoom meeting, there would be 10 TAs all, and you would just come through the door, be randomized into one of those question slots with 10 TAs for each question. And you just had a conversation with somebody and you got great on that conversation. How would you feel about that? I might be a little biased because I would love that instead of a multiple choice test or maybe a written test, but that's just because I love presentations and talking. And I've always felt that if I'm able to explain the topic to someone else or in my own words, um, then I can really understand what I'm talking about. And in my last year of, of my nutrition degree, we had so many more presentations, but that was really lacking all before that. So it's like you're very used to taking all these uh, multiple choice tests in your first two to three years. And all of a sudden in your last year, it's all presentation based. And I can understand why some students might be really scared of that because it is hard to speak in front of someone, especially when you're getting assessed. But I think it's such an important skill to have. So I would be for it. I know some people might not be, but realistically, I feel like it's, it's something you have to train yourself for because you're probably gonna be doing a lot more of it wherever you're going in your career. And I completely agree. Like we don't write tests anymore, right? Like I, had, yeah. I can't remember the last time I had to write a test. And so, yeah. yeah, it's one of those things that doesn't make a lot of sense to make people do. The other challenge, and just so everyone sensitive to this from my perspective, is it has to be something that you can mark. It has to be short enough that it doesn't take thousands of hours. So let's, if you had a class of 350 people and everyone gave a presentation, whether it was five minutes, you can just do 350 times five minutes. You can see how that adds up quite substantially as, yeah. uh, as my time, right? So that's the other thing to do is just, it has to be sustainable in time. But I, I think we're gonna get a chance to come up with some clever solutions as part of some of those things we're doing this summer, but that's awesome. Yeah. You could maybe ask them to record an answer as a test. I had to do that for one class before Ryerson where we had to sort of give like a pitch and record ourselves. And then that was assessed by the professor. And actually there was a couple courses where we had to film our final project at Ryerson as well. I would love an audio file that I could take with me on my walks outside. <laughs> like, I think that would be great. And I could just have a little note sheet in front of me as I'm listening to a five minute answer. I'm like, oh, that's a really good answer. That'd Check be really nice. That, yeah, because then you can take it and be mobile with it. Anyway, that's just me. I'll figure that out. That, that, I know I'm, now I'm just getting you to do my job for me. So <laughs> let, let's change the topic a little bit. All right. Anna, with, with your situation, you know, you took a year off, you found yourself, you know the world and what kind of mark you want to leave on it. But what are you afraid about going into grad school? And just so that everybody knows, Anna, and remind everybody that Anna is going to grad school with me. So this is really helpful for me. <laughs> what, 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 are you, what are you scared about? What, what intimidates you? What makes you nervous? What concerns you? I think changing into anything new is always scary in some way, whether it's- You, you were about to go through school. Saudi Arabia, right? Like, I don't think your, your level of intimidation is quite a bit different than other people's. That's true, but I think that there's very different types of fear and experience and education is really different one than, or I should say formal education, because I am all for edu formal education. It's why I'm you know pursuing a master's, but I do think that there's a lot to be said for informal education as well, like traveling and reading on your own, all types of books. Regardless of that, I think that my fear of traveling 
or, or the type of fear that comes from that. I've lost. I mentioned the word Saudi Arabia to my mother. I think she aged 10 years. <laughs> um, so for different people, it's kind of different fears. I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of nervousness starting something like a master's because it's just not only it's completely new degree, it's, it's very different from what I've done before. And I do know a lot of people that I did my undergraduate degree with that did their master's with their undergraduate thesis supervisors. And they did it often partially because they want to be medical physicists, some of them, but a lot of them I know did it simply because it was their safer route. It was, well, I'm guaranteed a track into master's. I'm guaranteed to graduate with an MSc with them. So I'm just going to go down that route. And although I can see why people kind of cling to inertia, like cling to what they feel is what's going to get them to their next step in their life and the easiest path. And, and I can respect that that's how people feel. I just, I looked at it and it just wasn't something that I was interested in. And I took the risk in a way of reaching out to you. What was it? Six, seven months ago. It was definitely at Christmas time because I was in Montreal when I got the email. I remember that. <laughs> So, I, so but, I, but but hold on, but you so you haven't you kind of screwed the question. You didn't say what causes any sort of it. Maybe you're not anxious at all. I think the one thing that when I did mention to some of my mentors, like academic mentors, you know, they were they were thrilled for me. They actually specifically knew you and were very thrilled for that. <laughs> and I'm not throwing any names under the bus here, but, and it, and it wasn't just from mentors. It was just from, you know, friends and family. It was just before my advisor was to be you, Brian, it was just as much as I love, you know, as we like to call it sort of straying away from the term saving the world, but I do really care about the environment and I want to leave my mark changing it for the better in some way. It was that my love of physics, I need to sort of weave that in. And that's something that I, I'm not scared that I won't be able to do that, but it's something that I was always rightfully so to keep told to keep in mind by, you know, friends and family and mentors to me. And I think that, you know, we, we've definitely gone down that track already. So I'm not, I wouldn't say that that's something I'm scared of now. It was maybe something that I was worried about beforehand because this program is so inter interdepartmental. I mean, there's everyone from engineers to chemists to sociologists to architecture professors so it was a little bit of a gamble in that sense to sort of make sure that i'm staying what i'm interested in which is physics right as well as obviously the environment so it's it was finding that and that was what i was a little nervous about but so if you if you had a younger version of you or a, a younger student in the program who was about to go to grad school or yeah toying with the idea what would you say to them i would say that of the people that i know that are happy where they are in their masters the majority of them took some time off before they began whether and and to be fair the ones that i'm saying that for are not thinking of pursuing phds they are not going down the pure academic route they are looking towards using the masters towards going into a certain job or a certain career field, I should say. But I can't speak for people who may want to go into the academic route who might want to become professors because that's not something that I particularly know much about and people that I've spoken to my age don't know much about, obviously. But I would definitely say that the ones that are happy where they are took a bit of a risk, took the time off to really think about what they wanted to do in their next steps rather than sort of keeping with their current supervisor or something that kind of just showed up to them in their undergrad that they weren't super passionate about but they thought was a guaranteed ticket to getting a master's and they thought that that was going to be enough to get them to where they need to go but they're not necessarily even sure where they want to go yeah. so that's definitely what i'd stick to 
No, it's good advice. I mean, I think a lot of people just just do graduate work because they don't know what they want to do next. And that's because they didn't take that time to do that personal discovery. Yeah, so that's good advice. Reva, back to you. What uh, what do you want to do next? Do you know what the next big transition for you will be? I mean, you're going into your fourth year. Is this going to be the last year? Um, I think I want to pursue a master's after this, hopefully. Um, I'm still not 100% sure like what area of dietetics I want to work in, but I do really like working with kids. So maybe something along those lines. Okay. And so have you, have you looked into that at all as uh, of yet, like possibilities? Yeah. So I've looked into like some master's programs that I want to apply to. And then as for like work, I've had some experience um, volunteering at SickKids and I really, really enjoyed it. So that was actually kind of like what made me want to work with kids. I was actually working in the diabetes clinic. So I really enjoyed that. I, and I'm, it's amazing that we have people like, I see such great value in that. I just can't, I, I, I sick, if it was sick kids, I would be feel so bad. I don't know. I, I feel like, like I can't even watch Grey's Anatomy. I just, I end up like crying all the time because it's, it's too real. Anyway, I know Grey's Anatomy is a bit outdated and if you've never watched it, I encourage you to watch it. It's on Netflix. But anyway, so that's awesome. Okay. So one of the things that I think is cool about the nutrition program is, well, one, you guys are all really amazing students. And so I'm saying this on the pod right now, best class I ever taught food nutrition students. And I'm sorry for the rest of you. <clears throat> it's also something that stresses me out the most too, because everyone is so intense. And it seems like everyone in the program has like, they know about graduate school or dietetics or postgraduate degrees right from the start. Is that sort of what you would say is sort of the direction of you and your peers, Reva? Is it sort of that's yeah. the way everyone's going? Yeah, I can say like first year I was already researching like what I was going to do. And yeah, the competition is real. It's very, it's very intense. And I, and I just want to remind everybody in the program, all of our food nutrition listeners, that you can make a real cool difference with your master's of applied science degree without necessarily doing dietetics while still making a difference in people's lives and human health, right? Have you considered any other options other than dietetics? To be honest, not really, but... I might look into it. I don't know. Because, I mean, hopefully Steph Davies is listening because I'm trying to convert her into different areas because I think there's lots of cool things you can do. There's lots of cool interdisciplinary research going on. And I just wonder if there's a way that you can take your expertise and apply it with a different angle to a different problem. You could still do the things you want to do. It may not be the degree you had in mind. How hard is it when you're, when you're making these life decisions to, for lack of a better word, take the blinders off? and say, you know what, maybe I should explore something different. Does that feel like a failure? It's just, I think the problem with that is just the uncertainty. With this whole like dietetics route, like I've already educated myself on the path. And so it's already familiar to me in terms of like, I know what the steps are. But if I go another way, like I'm completely clueless. So I'd have to like learn about all of that and then like figure out if it's right for me. I almost want to, I almost want to, if I had a little bit more time, I would do this for you guys because I care so much about that class and I, everyone seems, it seems like everyone wants to be a dietetics person. And I, and there's just, I see so many awesome opportunities and angles that you could take that same skill and apply it and, you know, be consultants or do this or do that and make a real difference the same way you want to. It's just, I'm just curious how many people, if, even if I did say, oh, here's the awesome opportunity bucket, like how many of you would actually dip your hand in and say, oh, look, what an opportunity. <laughs> like, would anybody take that? I think I would. I'm open. It sounds, it sounds like you are. 
Diana, yeah. if you're already you're already committed, <laughs> so I'm not trying to change your mind. But did you always know that this is where you were going after you left Amsterdam? So first, I agree that I think we should get more information on how to kind of utilize the knowledge that we get because it is so possible to use it in so many other areas. For me personally, I like dietetics was always the path I was taking, but I think I was also careful enough in dipping my feet in different networks and still keeping other possibilities open. Like, I, yeah, I'm following the dietetics route, but if other opportunities in that come up, I will happily take them if I'm interested. I also have aspirations of doing a master's after some work experience, and I don't want to do a master's in nutrition. I really want to do it in something completely different, but that I can use it to supplement with like my nutrition knowledge. So I'd say the biggest piece of advice moving forward, especially for younger grads or people currently in the nutrition program, like take the time to really discover other areas that relate to nutrition and try to get outside of the little nutrition bubble as hard as it is because yeah, we are so tunnel visioned into dietetics sometimes, but really try to just go to conferences on different topics, talk to different people, different professors, and just see what they're up to because you'll be surprised in like how many ways you can connect nutrition to. And then you'll also be unique in that respect, right? So that's why it's good to really expand your network. Yeah, I completely agree. What would be your, um, let's, I know you've got this plan A, what would be your plan B if, I don't know, the shit hit the fan and you just couldn't do this? What, what would you, what would be, what would you be your plan B right now if you, if you had to have one? I did have to think about that because I, I didn't even apply to any master's program. I only applied to the master's diploma program uh, with Ryerson. It's like a collaborative program known as PMDIP for short. And in that you apply to two hospitals. You only have a choice of two hospitals max in the city. And I applied to probably the two most pop popular hospitals. And it was a big risk, but I was definitely very lucky in getting it. And I did think sometimes I'm like, I actually am not so sure what I would do if, if I didn't get it. But I probably just try to get some work experience still in nutrition focus, maybe kind of events and promotion with different organizations that either work in the environment or nutrition and health or kind of food security, food systems. I also know a few trainers in, in the city of Toronto. So I am actually currently working with a fitness trainer in Toronto. So that's something I'm sort of dabbling in that I never actually thought I'd go, but the opportunity again, like it just came up this summer. So now I'm sort of doing that little work on the side and yeah, you never know where it could take you. So. No, oh, that's, that's really cool. And what would, what would have been uh, your plan B if this grad school thing wouldn't have worked out? And, and I mean, I, we, there's still a lot of unknowns. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to say that it's, it's been so great so far, but I mean, what would you have done if for whatever reason you didn't get into the program? I don't think that I would have just taken other, I mean, I did apply to, as I thought as a backup, I should apply to another program because I remember being in high school and applying and I had great grades out of high school. And I was like, I should apply to like 15 universities, which is kind of ridiculous, right? And, and you I can took only the apply approach. to three, right? Like technically you can only apply three, to three for free. And then I oh. basically begged my mom and she made me like, you know, I did all this like, work around the house to sort of make up for all the, how many court, how many universities did you actually apply to? I was like school. 14 or 15, something ridiculous like that. That's like, like all the universities in, in Canada. I know. I know. Oh. <laughs> Not in Canada. Sorry. But yeah, it was like a ridiculous number, but, and this time I, it wasn't that I had this, I was still very like unsure if I'd, get in and stuff which kind of ties back to what you guys were talking about earlier about testing like I would actually by the halfway point of the semester I'd have like amazing grades and then 
midterms would roll around and I'm just really not a good tester and they drop my grades and then I kind of get them back up and then exams would drop my grades again. So I was a little unsure about graduate school. Like, of course, I made above the minimum requirements for grades, but it was still a iffy thing. Like, it's not as straightforward just you have the grades and you get in and it's obviously finding a supervisor to supervise you. And But I, I didn't take the approach of just, I should just apply to all these programs. It was this is what I want, this is what I'm going to apply to. And I did apply to the data science program because I thought, oh, I should apply to one as a backup. I kind of went regressed in my mentality. And then I realized regardless if I had gotten into that or not, I, I wouldn't have taken it. But I really did have to kind of think about it for a while. Like what, what would I really do if I didn't get into this program, the Ensign program? I probably would have started applying for jobs with medical physics. So mostly working at like a nuclear power plant just so I could get my foot in the door with some industry, which is somewhat related. To, obviously, nuclear is not a clean source of energy, but it's much better route than obviously like fossil fuels. So I would have at least had some work experience and then I would have reevaluated in a couple months. And when the time would roll around to apply again, I would think about maybe applying to either this program or maybe my doors heard about another program, maybe in a different country, which obviously wouldn't have worked out now. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably what I would have likely done. Get some work experience. That's cool. I like the persistence too, because you, you would have just came back at it from a different angle or uh, periodically bang at the door with a different strategy. I think that's a good idea. And for all of our uh, younger listeners, just so you know, it's not the same as when you apply for graduate work. And I don't think it's the same as is for Diana and Riva, where they have placements. Well, I guess it is similar in that regard. You have to, when you apply to grad school, you actually have to have a supervisor. So even if you get into the graduate program and you get reviewed, if, if there's no supervisor willing to take you, then you won't get into the program. And I think that's an important dis difference between undergrad, going to an undergrad and, and going into grad school as well. Riva, what, uh, what worries you about this fall? Any big concerns? Um, I think right now I'm just really nervous about applying to grad school. And that whole process because I feel like that's going to be stressful and in terms of like schoolwork I'm not so concerned because I'm I feel like I'm kind of getting used to like the online version of everything well for you it's um, like riding a bike right <laughs> you get so much of it you just have to remember how to do it <laughs> and manage seven, seven, seven. yeah yeah that's right yeah <laughs> So but otherwise, you don't have any sort of trepidations about what's going to happen next? Not really. No, I think, think my biggest is just like thinking about what's going to happen the year after that. And I think yeah, it's, it's impressive and it also, and it must add an enormous amount of stress to your, you and your fellow classmates because you have such a long vision <laughs> that, that literally your anxiety is not about what everybody else in the world is going to be anxious about it. It's what's going to happen the following year. Like you're already, you've already passed through that anxiety and you're more concerned about the, the long-term anxiety. So one thing that I heard on a, an interview that is a good piece of advice was don't be too hard on yourself, right? At the end of the day, you, nobody really knows what they are going to become in life and you're no different. So don't, don't even though you have great plans, I always like to tell this story because I was married once and it didn't work out. And our wedding photographer, it worked out like I was married for seven years, but then we got divorced. And my, uh, my wedding photographer at the time, we had this great plan about what the pictures and how it was going to be done. And I remember him saying he was next military guy. And he's like, even the best plans fail on first contact with the enemy. So we could be planning everything out with great rigor. And at the end of the day, we still might come up short. Diana, what are you, uh, what, what are you concerned about in terms of the fall? Well, at the moment, it is very uncertain what's happening with the internship because 
it is meant to be in a hospital and it's meant to be very hands-on. And it, although it is a children's hospital, we still don't know how they're transitioning with the whole COVID situation or what that will mean for us because we have heard that a lot of practitioners and even the interns from this year, they were sent home. And initially my biggest concern was that, was that like, would we start late? Which means it would prolong the program and it's already 11 months long. Would we like start at the same time as the interns that were kind of put on pause earlier so would we have some placements with them and then would there be not enough space for us are we going to be working from home sometimes like is it gonna you know impact our learning and education in any way because even though you know with all the precautions and everything that's going on i still want to be in the hospital and i want to get the full experience of the internship to really put the knowledge into practice. And I just hope that nothing compromises that, but I hope that they're working that throughout the summer. I think it's probably just too early to tell right now because it is still a few months away. And as we know, things are changing week by week. So I hope they'll keep us posted and I hope it'll it'll still go well, but yeah, it'll definitely be a transition. I guess I'll just have to see in September. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's completely out of, out of your control, right? Exactly, yeah. So I'm kind of just waiting, like trying to really enjoy and also take some time to relax because the last six years were a lot of school and I still have a hard time like turning off really, but I really need to take the time to relax because I know it's going to be an intensive internship, like a lot of learning, but will definitely be a lot of work. And I think that's finding the finding any way to relax or to, to gather one's mental stamina right now and yeah. whatever your methodology is, is really important uh, for your personal health. All right, I want to wrap up with one uh, little question. What has been the silver lining of this pandemic? And Anna, we'll start with you. I would probably say this is very specific to my scenario, but the silver lining to me coming, I was in South America as a background for just before this started sort of mid-March when the um, guidelines kicked in. And I had met one of my lifelong friends down in Argentina and she was continuing on through the continent and I had decided to come home. Obviously the clothes you're wearing in South America are very different for Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, India. So there was a cheap flight coming home and I figured I'd take that before anyways. So I was coming home and it was end of February and she was continuing on. And when I left Brazil, there was still no cases in Brazil. The COVID had not even reached the continent yet. So it was like, I was there and I'm so sort of disconnected from what was going on in the rest of the world. And I came back to Canada and it was still quite lenient. It wasn't talked about to a great extent. It was covered on the media, but it was still quite sort of brushed aside. And she was on this long story short on a retreat that had no internet for a month. And when she surfaced, it was only because someone at the camp who did have internet, like the host, the front desk, said that Peru, where she was in, was going on complete lockdown and every foreigner had to get out, you had 24 hours. And she was like a 30 hour bus ride away from Lima, wow. which was the only flights out. And so she was actually stuck there. She got arrested, was in prison. And the only reason she got out is because of me and a few of her friends actually like constantly contacting the federal government to help her get on one of the repatriation flights. So my personal silver lining is somehow, you know, if there is a higher power had sort of, it worked out that I basically got back to Canada well before any of those issues came in because not only did it cost her a lot of her 
money to get back home, it also cost her a lot of her mental health to sort of get through what she was dealing with in Peru. That's crazy. I didn't realize you, you had to deal with that. And it's a good thing you did help get home so that you could advocate for her, right? Because otherwise, yeah. who would have been advocating for her to get her home? Yeah, it was And insane. she would still be there. Okay, that's a good silver lining. You got yeah. back just in time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that, that's good. Wow. And I, I was going to ask you if you had were caught up in the traveling, but you were already coming back. So that would that. Good. Reva, what, what has been uh, your silver lining in all of this? I think just the fact that everything's online. Um, like it's, I, I, learn, I learn better when things are online. So for me, that's been quite nice. Also just, I guess, having more freedom with my time, just being able to spend more time with family, even if it gets crazy in the house sometimes. <laughs> even, if you, even if there's times you want to wring their neck, at the least you, you're home to really do it. <laughs> That's tough. Anyway, I can't imagine. I'm still shocked by that. I don't know which, which story shocks me more, the one that Anna just shared or that one that you have seven siblings. Or there's seven of you know. So, oh my God. Wow. Okay, well, that's awesome. Diana, what's been your silver lining in all of this? Nothing too shocking, but I guess just really being able to take some time to pause on stuff and reflect and still getting some time to enjoy the summer in the city, like trying to make myself busy with different outdoor activities, even just getting to see my dad more often, actually, because throughout the year, like before all of this happened, our schedules really conflict because he works in the evening. And of course, I was at school and work all day. So we would almost never see each other. And I've been able to spend some more time with him throughout this because I do live by myself and he lives close by and also by himself. So it's been nice to kind of have a companion every now and then. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Family is really important and, yeah. and to have that time to, to re-equilibrate and, and find out what's important. Like one of the things they always say is that, you know, we've always, the expression is, oh yeah, I'll do that if I have more time, right? If only if I had more time. Well, now we all have loads of time, right? Exactly. And I guess- you're not traveling this summer, which is something you would normally do. So now you're, is this like one of the first summers you've been in, in Toronto? Uh, last summer was the first one I spent in Toronto. I did manage to get out for a couple weeks, but this is the, well, the first summer that it's been like this in Toronto. And at first it was really hard to accept because summer in Toronto is, is so fun. It's one of my favorite times. There's just so many great places to hang out, out out with your friends and so many beautiful bike trails. I was I did that quite a bit in the summer last year, but now I'm, I'm also planning to bike a bit more. But it is a shame that it, I felt like at first I couldn't enjoy to the full extent. But of course, I'm always trying to see the positive side of things. Awesome. Well, team, we could have this conversation all day. I love I loved chatting with you and learning more about your journeys and uh, what your plans are. And I, I, our listeners have as well. It's a beautiful day today, like gorgeous. And I've just taken an hour of that beautiful day away from you. So I'm going to let you go. And before I do, though, a big thank you for taking this time to tell us about your journey and, and share with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. For having us. Yeah, thank you. This is great. It's been an awesome, absolute pleasure. Okay, we'll end it there. And uh, good luck. And hopefully we'll all be able to see each other in person, even if we're maintaining social distances very soon. But in the meantime, stay safe and stay well and stay out of trouble. Thank you. Yes, you too. Okay, bye everybody. Bye. bye.